We have another good episode for you today, and we have a great guest, the voice of the summer in New Jersey. You'll want to listen to this one on this episode of the Indie Bar Report podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 93. We're closing on episode number 100, despite what podcatcher feed may say. We are not at episode 100. We are not at episode 101. We are on episode 93 by the official tally. And uh, that's all that really matters. I'm Nick. All that matters. Exactly. I'm Nick. He's Will. And we mm-hmm. have an interview for you today and then not really much else. But it's a good interview and it goes on for like an hour. So it's not like it's going to be shortchanged. Oh, yeah. Even though there's not a ton of uh, fun news this week, uh, the, the the interview was very, very good. And uh, we had a lots of fun, I guess, kind of an, uh, an uh, more of an unconventional interview where it wasn't so much. I, I know we were talking a little bit about it off air. It wasn't so much us asking questions and our, our guest gives an answer and then we ask a question and our guest gives an answer. It's just kind of like a conversation between the three of us. And, and it was... Uh, it, it, it was really, really fun, and I, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Yeah, I think I said it during the interview, is that for this one, there really wasn't a set list of questions or set list of topics that I really wanted to hit or that Will really wanted to hit. It was just kind of a rough outline of, okay, well, these are maybe some points that we could get to if we need to, but it was really just a really nice conversation, and it's more like, oh, what's your experience with this? How's this going? And it was just a very, uh, very good conversation, like baseball. Very, very good, and uh, I'm really looking forward for you guys to hear that. And uh, I guess with that, we could kind of just dive headlong into this. This is our interview with the Sussex County Myers play-by-play man, the voice of Sussex County in the summer, Brett Luthner. All right, we are back again. Another interview in the series of interviews we've started to do on this show, and we have a treat for a lot of you today. I know we have a lot of listeners in New Jersey, and of those, we have a lot of Sussex County minor fans. And so we have for you today the voice of Sussex County in the summer, and that is Brett Luthner, the voice of the Sussex County Myers. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, just got done calling a couple of games outdoors. So uh, why not work off the chill by talking about some baseball? I know. Maybe you're talking about baseball. We can start reminding you of those warm summer nights and, and the fun that comes with them. There's a lot of fun summer nights in, in Sussex County. I know. Skyline Stadium, and it's 20 minutes from my house. Uh, I, I've always said I couldn't ask for anything better when I got the job five years ago, six years ago. Hmm. Um, it's going to be my sixth year with the Miners. But, yeah. uh, you know, to be able to work from home, practically work from home and be able to be around my family is just absolutely. And I, like you can't, you can't ask for much better than that when you have a baseball stadium right around the corner and everything's right at the, at the doorstep. So I, I guess I have a, a kind of a loose outline for, for this one. And, uh, I guess I'm just going to kind of start with uh, how'd you kind of get into the miners organization? How'd you kind of join with them? I know you just said that you've been there six years and obviously uh, you've been calling games for them for quite some time, but I'm kind of just interested on in how you kind of fell into the team or how you got the gig. 
Well, um, when they first came to Sussex County in 2015, I'd actually applied for it, but didn't get the job. Andrew Luffglass got it, uh, who's a fine broadcaster himself, a uh, nice guy as well. So uh, he got the job the first year, but then he took off for uh, Lake, uh, Lake County, I believe, with the captains. Yeah. And the job became open again, and uh, I applied for it, and didn't quite hear back. Uh, and then I was doing a Sussex County Community College game. Uh, I'd always volunteered for their military appreciation game at Skyland Stadium. And I ran into, at the time, Tyler Borkowski was the assistant general manager. And he led us into press box and everything. And I asked him, hey, you know, is there anything new on the the broadcast job? He's like, no, we haven't filled it yet. So I gave him my business card and said, hey, you know, uh, I'm still very, very interested. And a couple days later, met with him and Dave Chase, who was the general manager at the time. And, uh, Got the um, got the offer soon after that. I still have that voicemail saved on my cell phone. Uh, Dave Chase giving me the first opportunity, really, to, to get into independent and professional baseball, you know, on a full season term, and uh, it's been all good ever since. Yeah, and so I guess kind of building off of that, I know for me when I kind of. Just tune into a game and start listening to it. I know also on this show a lot I've said uh, baseball is really a radio sport. You can watch it, of course, and it's great to watch in person or streaming or any other way. But there's something about just listening to a radio call of a game that makes it it almost just makes the game more romantic in a way and i know for me i don't normally think about all the kind of preparation that goes into getting to the point where you're listening to a broadcaster call a game and you you listen to the various stats and everything like that so i do kind of wonder what's that kind of preparation like getting ready to call a game i imagine every sport's different but particularly with baseball it seems like there's a lot more that you have to have on hand because you know there's a lot of time where you're just kind of having a conversation with the folks listening almost like we're doing right now yeah it's um in the past because the canem league was you know it was a small circuit it was just six teams so there yeah. wasn't as many teams to prepare for and as you got along during the season you pretty much got used to the same cast characters, if you will, uh, season by season. Even though there was a lot of roster turnover, it was still, you got used to them, you know, fairly quickly. So uh, the first month of the season, there was always more preparation into it, you know, printing the game notes, uh, you know, I'd create and then print the game notes and then uh, print up all the the league stats off the point streak and everything. um, you know, look through those as I was, you know, printing them and stapling them as a guy, you know, maybe this will be interesting or that'll be interesting. Um, and then, you know, as that went along, it was just like, all right, fine. You, you know, which guys are good, you know, which guys aren't so good and you know, which guys are really focused on. And so that part of it made preparation a little bit easier. Now going into the frontier league, it's going to be much different because there's a lot of teams to prepare for. Um, you know, even if you're only going to see them, for one three-game series, it's, you know, you still got to know what's going on around a much larger league. And so, you know, the preparation is getting, you know, uh, a little more in detail possibly about the game notes, uh, you know, trying to pay attention to all everybody else's notes or, or news that comes through. And, uh, and then at the end of the day, though, still realize that you have a game in front of you and have the notes ready to go. But, uh, I'll probably only use about 5 to 10% of them because there's a game in front of me that the, the fans need me to be the eyes. 
I imagine that's another really difficult part is trying to find that or strike that fair balance between wanting to, you know, use the notes you have. I mean, you don't want to do notes for nothing, but you also, like you said, you need to call the game in front of you. You're the, you're painting the picture of the ballpark for them. And I, I wonder how you manage to kind of interweave those things because they're not always mutually exclusive. A lot of times you need to choose when and where to throw that knowledge into and they can apply whilst the game's happening. So I wonder how you manage to kind of weave the two into each other, if that makes sense there. It, no, it does. It, it very much does. Um, and, and the idea is, is when you're watching the game, you get a sense of once when something might happen. And, and if you have the knowledge of, all right, I know this is where in my stat packet that this statistic might be for me to, to share at this time. And it's just a matter of learning, figuring out through experience. It's like, all right, fine. This is a time to use this stat, or maybe that's another time to use that stat. Uh, but not overbear yourself uh, with trying to get the stat on air. Because, again, the game's still the most important thing for fans. Sometimes, though, I'll talk about Stratomatic, which drives some of my friends up the wall. But you'll you'll hear me make Stratomatic references, much like Keith Hernandez would. Um, One of my favorite games to play is Stratomatics. We're out of the park baseball. I'll I'll start referencing that stuff. Um, Sometimes I'll just see, you know, maybe some other you know, current events going on or sporting events or maybe I'll throw a trivia question in just to, you know, have some stuff to freshen up the broadcast just to keep it um, sort of like not just down the same barren path of, of describing the play and then just, just describing the numbers. And add some other little things into it to add some, some extra uh, for the listeners. Yeah, you got to keep it fresh and you got to keep people on their toes and keep them listening. And I've been talking for a little bit now and I'd be remiss to not uh, bring my co-host into it. So I'm going to flip it over to Will now to let him uh, go along where he wants to go with this for a little bit. Brett, so something I- I'm kind of curious because whenever whenever I get the chance on this show or otherwise to, to interview a, um, a broadcaster of minor league, minor league baseball, indie ball, I guess, I guess, partner league baseball. Now, something I, I'm always really interested in is uh, obviously in a minor league sports organization, they don't have the money to be able to hire a bunch of guys for to do one specific thing. So while uh, obviously you do, you call, you call the games play by play. Uh, you're also working a lot in media relations. So I'd be really interested to learn besides like coming in calling the game what, what else do you do i guess more on the media relations well what will happen is is i mean i usually try to get to the ballpark at 2 p.m for a seven o'clock game uh just to make sure i have my media notes set up make sure all of that's printed because I'll, I'll type my own media notes and that's part of the media relations side of things um in terms of making sure anybody who's coming in to cover the, the game, uh, they have themselves a set of notes. And there'll be some days where it just doesn't work out in, my, well, in the past, at least my laptop just doesn't want to cooperate with me. Uh, but by and large, just, you know, get the media notes out there, um, you know, get the stat packs out there, also for the managers and everything. I'll get them down to the clubhouses. Some managers have their stats as well. Um, if there's a feature article that we want to work on, uh, if we don't have an intern already working on it, then I'll, you know, I'll start, you know, maybe, you know I'll interview a player or whatnot along that route, uh, and then start the, the 
formulation of, of putting together a feature article. Um, and then, you know, come, say, 5.30 or so for a 7 o'clock game when, you know, whoever comes in. So Andrew Chigunik is the sports editor for the New Jersey Herald up by us. More often than not, he's there. If not, you know, uh, a couple of other guys will step in. And, you know, you're, you're still trying to establish some relationships with those guys as well and, you know, helping them out, talking to them about the ball game. Uh, coming up or the teams they're in, if there's any new uh, any new nuggets that they might want to be interested in or story ideas that you might want to pitch to them because that, that's another thing. You know, you want the exposure as much as possible. So I'll pitch a story idea every now and again to, to Treads and, um, you know, he'll really just, you know, it's like, hey, you know what, this is a pretty good idea. And so uh, it's establishing that relationship with the local media um, another thing that I'm working on is uh, trying to get, you know, we've been internet radio for our uh, broadcasts, internet radio and television, and we're, we're, I'm trying to work on getting a radio station up here to be our flagship station, if you will, to carry all the games live on actual FM terrestrial radio. So uh, we're hopeful for that, one, maybe two stations, and, uh, you know, it's a lot more than just uh, stepping into the booth and calling a game and then going home at the end of the night. It also includes writing the post-game recaps and distributing that to everybody as well. So, uh, a lot more than just calling a game, but it's a part of the job that, you know, it may not seem as glorious, but it's still essential and, and it's still something that I love to do. Right. Apologize for, for backtracking a little bit. But another thing I'd love to know when just talk, talking to broadcasters is when, when you when you were growing up or or really maybe in college or anything like that, when did you know you wanted to be a sports broadcaster? And was there a specific broadcaster maybe you watched or listened to that you really wanted to try to emulate uh, in, in your work? Oh, wow. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster when I was probably about seven years old or eight years old, because I would walk down from the bus stop and I would be broadcasting a game out loud as I'm walking home. So between that and then, you know, uh, playing downstairs in my basement, it was long enough as a kid that I could, you know, run back and forth. I'd be broadcasting while I'm playing. And then I'm, I'm dating myself here really bad, but Commodore 64, I'd be playing games on the Commodore 64 and I'd be, I'd have the tape recorder ready and I'd just, record me broadcasting a video game that I've been playing. So I've known for a long time that I wanted to be a broadcaster. It just I got sidetracked for a while because my family wanted me to do other things and then I had an opportunity to be a hockey coach for a while and uh, both in roller hockey and ice hockey and that took up some time and you know finally when my job when my nine to five job uh cut my position, that's when I turned around and got into broadcasting about a decade or so ago. Um, and then as for broadcasters that I wanted to emulate, um, that's a tough one because you always want to take little bits and pieces of the broadcasters that you like and incorporate it into your own style and carry yourself into the style as well. So, for baseball, um, I mean, I've always looked at Joe Buck as being a good broadcaster, even though a lot of people don't like him. I still think he's a quality broadcaster. I grew up hearing Phil Rizzuto, uh, you know, and all that, all the stuff he brought to the table. Um, you know, present day Gary Cohn 
uh, that whole Mets broadcast booth is, is outstanding. So, uh, you know, those are guys that, you know, I try to emulate a little bit even today. Um, you know, Matt Vesturgeon is a good one. Uh, Bob Carpenter's another good one and a nice guy to boot. Um, but by and large, it's just taking little clips of them from my baseball broadcast and putting it into what I already am. Because if I'm not myself, then I'm not being genuine to the fans. So just take little bits and pieces here and there and just add it to what I do. Right, and, and I know I think this would be a a perfect segue in into some of uh, into some of your time with, with the miners and uh, some calls that you you've had the chance, uh, some moments you've had the chance to call. So and, and I know Nick was very excited to, uh, to to get to talk to you some about that. So I will throw it over him to to ask some of those. Yeah, I was saying to Will before we came on that one of the things I was going to have to ask you was what was your favorite call that you've made over your time being a broadcaster, but more specifically with Sussex County. I know we've talked about this before, and part of the reason I was really excited to ask you that question was I'm pretty sure I know the answer to it already, (laughs) and I was looking really forward to putting a drop in of that call into this interview. So I'll let you answer now and uh, then get ready to put the drop in in once uh, I go to edit this later tonight. <laughs> it's um, it's easily the, uh, the Martin Figueroa walk-off home run in game four against Quebec. I've called two no-hitters. Uh, I've called championship games in hockey uh-huh. and other sports, but the Figueroa home run is so far and sh- head and shoulders above anything else. He singled twice, hit a solo home run, and flied out. He scored two runs, and he's knocked home himself the one run. Crowd is standing in some parts here. Set by Bayless. And the first pitch. High fly, deep right field, up the wall. Miners are the 2018 Can-Am League champions. Martin Figueroa, a walk-off three-run home run. He rounds third base, gets the high five. Wrap it up, the Miners are the Can-Am champions. And I still, to this day, when I walk into the press box and I look out to the right field wall, I, I still can envision that ball flying out in slow motion. And uh, uh, what's more about that is my family, they're immensely supportive of my career. Um, at the time, we just had the two kids, uh, the twins, my, my son and daughter. Those two and my wife were at game four. And I just remember as the ball's leaving, I'm going absolutely berserk. My wife, she knows it's gone too, so she starts jumping and screaming like crazy. And I'm trying not to look at my children because, like, my wife's screaming, it'll be be fine. Once I look at my children, though, because I know they they love the minors as well, and see their reactions, I knew I was going to lose it. And so as Marty was rounding third base, I glanced down just for a moment and I caught my son's facial expression and my daughter's facial expression. And you can hear me actually like 
my voice crack because that's when I first saw that I'm, I'm just like I'm gonna lose this. So I, I dropped my voice down a little bit, finished out the call, and then just shut my mic off for about twenty or thirty seconds because there was no way I was gonna get a word out without crying because of what my kids were experiencing right in front of me. It, it's moments like that that make baseball what it is because even something that like that is just so powerful in the moment and even thinking back on it and the thing is everyone that watched that has their own moment like that but hearing the story behind the call makes it just so much better and it's just again i i love that call personally i think it just encapsulates the moment and the whole feeling in that ballpark and everything about it just so well and uh I, I was expecting that answer, but it's still, it's just great to, to hear it more so. And, uh, I guess with that, I'm going to keep, uh, going along the, the train of, of the miners organization and that, because I know back uh, a couple minutes ago, you said you kind of get to know a, a lot of the guys that come through being that you had such a small league in the Can-Am for quite some time here. So I guess I'm going to kind of go to, was there any kind of, player in particular, uh, whether they be on Sussex or another team that was coming through, that you had a particularly uh, good relationship with or just was kind of one of the the favorites to come through, whether they may be a little bit more entertaining of a personality or just a really good guy that you like to talk to or, or anything like that. Is there one or two guys in particular that kind of stand out? Oh, Jesus. I, I can almost put one on each team, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, Taylor Brennan was always a character and, yeah. and sometimes I would hear the stories when him and Bobby Jones start talking when Brennan was playing third base uh, you know yeah. you can hear some of that stuff and those are funny things but, uh, he was such a powerful player yeah. um, Carl Jelena on Quebec uh, he's a guy just such a warm guy such a friendly guy obviously competitive but um a really nice guy to talk to. You know, you can talk to him pregame. You can talk to him in the postgame meal or whatever. Um, a, a really nice guy to, to be around. And, you know, sometimes you could just, you know, relax and just talk about anything but baseball and he's up for the conversation. And, you know, sometimes you talk about the game and you know, he's got thoughts about that too. He's a, he's a really good guy. Um, Sebastian Boucher with Ottawa, yeah. another really nice guy. Uh, can't say enough uh, good things about him. He's just a wonderful guy, and I'm glad he's working with the Titans now in the front office. Uh, that's a great thing. Adron Chambers as well. I don't think people understand. He's a really nice guy. Um, when he came over to the Miners for a little bit, uh, a really nice guy and a supportive guy there as well. Uh, and Adron's got a kid now, so you know it's, it's all good. I'm, I'm happy for him on that. And um, Oh, geez, you could go on and on. Uh, there's a lot of guys in the Jackals that are pretty good guys. Uh, yeah. Demetrius Moore right now, the one just off the top of my head, the one that sticks out. Um, always good chat with him as well. Um, Rockland Boulders have had uh, several good ones. David Palladino, when he was there, was, was a good guy to talk to. And then he came to the minors. He's yeah. just that much more of a good guy to talk to. Um, you know, it's just it's a lot of guys in this. And, of course, God knows how many. You know, it's it's so much fun. Um, actually, on that note, we had done uh, over the course of the uh, of the winter last year, we were doing um, MLB the show. Yeah, myself and Sean Brethrick, 
And we had some of the miners on one day, and they just started talking baseball amongst themselves for about 45 minutes. And we decided, you know what? We're not playing another game. We're just going to step back and we're going to put that Zoom call on and let them start talking. It was just a wonderful conversation about baseball. You know, all these guys that play, they love the game and they love being around the game. And just, um, you know, I miss David Rollins. I wish he was back in the minors uniform. He's an absolutely wonderful guy. And congratulations on, on the, the birth of his son. I could go on and on. I could spend hours yeah. talking about all the guys in the league. It's just, there's not enough. There's not enough time for it. They're all great. Yeah, no, I mean, especially on this level, a lot of guys are just driven by passion for the game and love of it. And I mean, most of these guys are just, you know, they're regular guys. They're just average guys. And they're just they're just happy to still have a chance and just be interacting. And for a lot of them, I'm, I'm pretty sure they know that this is this is like it is professional baseball, but it's like the big leagues in a way where you walk onto the field, especially in Sussex County with the way that a lot of those fans are. And I'm going to get to, to some of them in just a minute. Uh, but with the kind of passion that they have, it's, it's just such an environment that you can't help but have a, have a fun time playing baseball. Because I mean, at the end of the day, there's few better summer jobs than playing baseball. Right. I'd say broadcasting baseball, but, you know, it's the same thing. Um, And, I mean, look, a lot of the credit, I mean, Justin Ferrarello, the general manager, puts, like, he gives the team the best opportunity to be successful on and off the field. He's tirelessly working. He's a great guy. I just saw him uh, yesterday uh, at ShopRite. He just, he he crept up from behind me. And so, you know, we're able to talk for a few minutes, but uh, he's a great guy as well. And and he gives the team every chance. Outdoors are the owner, of course, you know, he puts it in his sons, uh, Mike and Al Jr., yeah. Bobby Jones, uh, he puts the players together, him and Simon Walters and Vlad Fontalvo, and they got such an eye for talent and ability to coach. It makes this team competitive every single year. I'll never doubt Bobby's eye for talent or Simon's eye for talent, Vlad's eye for talent as well. Yeah. Um, but then one other thing, which, which this story kind of encapsulates the attitude that this team has had for the last couple of years. Um, these are the type of people that, that Bobby brings in. Uh, there was one day when uh, uh, Nick Zaharian needed a pair of socks. Uh, yeah. A couple of them were out fishing or whatever. And, and Nicky Z needed a pair of socks. And so Kevin Grendel, he's just like, hey, yeah. no, I got I got some socks right here. And he pulled out a pair of Baltimore Orioles socks. Yeah. And Nick's just like, wait, 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 wait a second. Brett's a huge Orioles fan. And Grendel's just like, Brett's a huge Orioles fan. And he's like, no, no, I, I don't need that. Man. And so, so Grendel, a couple of days later, he's like, hey, Brett, I got something for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to walk to the press box. But he goes back into the clubhouse, comes out, and he's got these Orioles socks. And, wow. and it's those kind of gestures and, yeah. and little things, um, you know, and those two always give time to my son. My son loves those two. He always gives yeah. time. Uh, I, I wear those Orioles socks often. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Baltimore Orioles. So, yeah. Uh, it, but it, that's the kind of thing that, those, that a lot of these guys are. Not just those two, but a lot of them are. Uh, it makes it so much more enjoyable work for the Biters. They're just great guys. I mean, and that yeah. things like that make, make what happened in 2018 even more special. That you see such a great group of guys have such success. I mean, even... 
even then the following year, I mean, in 2019, they still got very far. I mean, they just, they kind of ran to just a really, really good Jackal team at that point. And it just, it makes you, it makes you really humanize the league and really feel good for these guys when you see they get their contract purchased or they move up to a higher level, or even they just go on and do something else that makes them a success or makes them a larger success in life it's just you feel good when these guys succeed and i guess with that i'll, I'll flip it back over to will now because i've been talking for a bit long and i always do this i always do this i always go on a run on like i like i'm the only one here so i'll flip it back to will now to so he can nah, keep going it's all, <laughs> it, it, it's all good uh, the, the, definitely the next thing i wanted to get into was just kind of the miners fan base in, in general like I, i've known nick for a while and he's more obviously more of a North Jersey guy. I, I'm a Central Jersey guy. Yes, it it, it exists. Oh, we'll get to this another time, but oh, here we go. Here we go because now Sean Bretherick is a Central Jersey guy, and I'm a North Jersey guy, lifelong. And we always say Central Jersey's just confused. It, exactly. it, it, it definitely exists. Like I don't know how else you can define it. <laughs> it's there somewhere. <laughs> but so Nick has always told me, like, well, you have to go. You have to go to a miners game. You, you, you. It's unlike anything you've ever experienced. And and finally, in this summer, I, I I took the. I believe I went up. I went up to to Skylands a couple of times. And even though like the the crowds were smaller because obviously the 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 COVID restrictions and the mass gathering limit, it, I really can say it was an experience unlike unlike anything i've had in indie ball just like it was so it was so unique and the fans were really really passionate even though there was obvious there was obvious differences uh in, in the roster because everything was kind of thrown together but the, the spirit was still there so from your perspective as a guy who's who's worked for the miners the last uh four or five years and and you've obviously experienced a lot of different fan bases. What can you say about about the miners fan base and what's what makes them so special and separates them from from the others? Uh, the miners fan base, Sussex County fans in general. There, there's a big thing was they are loyal. They're loyal to a club if the club is loyal to them, and that's what the miners have done. That's what's been established by the Dorso family, by Justin, our general manager, Dave Chase before him as well. Uh, it's the loyalty to the fans. And, and this team, uh, from the front office down, they're loyal to the fans. And the fans, after a couple of years and they get used to it, it's like, all right, you know what? These guys are, these guys are not half bad. And it's like, oh, wait a second. These guys actually played pretty good. That, that got, and has gotten more of the fans. The, and when, when the team stays loyal to the fans and to the community, Sussex County in general, the fans will return it back, and that's what we're having up here in Sussex County. And it's again, I can't say it enough. Justin's tireless work promoting the team every day he can. Uh, the Dorso family putting events up here uh, that are, um, you know, fun for fans to come out to uh, is another thing. It, it's just having that entertainment factor and having a place to just enjoy yourself and knowing that the, the, the ball club and the organization is still going to stay loyal to Sussex County. I think that's the big thing and why this fan base is so passionate about the Miners. That's definitely uh, an interesting answer. And, and it's uh, to me, 
it's also interesting because they were still able to come out. They were still able to, to, to support the team, even this year when you got, obviously the all American baseball challenge was kind of thrown together and, and it's still uh, turned, turned into a, to a great season. And so I, I, I do want to kind of ask you about that because it, it, it was so unique in the sense that it was thrown together and in two, three weeks. So obviously the frontier league season, it was, it was obviously it was going to be a great season uh, in the frontier league with, with uh, the two big divisions and, and stuff like that. So maybe you're not the, definitely the right person to ask about it, but I will ask it anyway because I'm, I'm really curious. So do you have any idea how the, the All-American Baseball Challenge came together and putting two teams in each ballpark? It's a really interesting setup that I guess we've never really seen in professional baseball. So ha- ha- do you know any idea how that kind of came about? It was... Probably plan C. There were a couple other plans that were going to go on beforehand, um, you know, if the Frontier and ultimately when the Frontier League season had ended. Um, the, there was one idea and then that kind of fell through. And then it was, there was very close. It was going to, the three teams up here were going to blend with the three teams, uh, three of the teams in the Atlantic League and just have like a six team circuit for a year. Uh, that was very close until North Carolina's numbers started to spike up high and everything fell apart from there. And then and Governor Cuomo's kind of put the kibosh on some New York stuff. So that eliminated that. And then at that point, the Dorso family got together, um, Greg Lockard as well, uh, just said, hey, you know what, maybe we'll just, you know, we'll have this kind of set up and, you know, they threw it together and, Next thing you know, All American Baseball Challenge uh, was born. Yeah, um, and I guess as, as far as far as the rosters, like, was it like, was it harder for you to prep because there were a lot of uh, to prep and broadcasting because there were so many kind of unfamiliar faces? And I know at the end of the year there was a huge uh, infusion of talent from the Somerset uh, the Somerset yep. pop up league. Did it make it harder on you at all? Uh, yes, it did. Uh, myself and Sean Brotherick up in, uh, up in the press box. Uh, it, it was difficult because you had so many different pieces coming in and you're just looking for some of them for any kind of information and it got difficult. And then, uh, then Sean, uh, you know, he is, um, his father had passed away in the middle of the season. And so for me personally, it's like, all right, fine. Now I got to go do the public address and still stay on top of all this stuff. And so it, it was, it was a dizzying season. Um, and then the influx of talent. I mean, at least I knew, you know, at the beginning of the season, I knew Cito Culver already from the previous year. Mm-hmm. Martin Figueroa from two years ago. So it was one of those. Some of the faces that came in, it's like, all right, I know these guys already. Um, yeah, it was easy to look up that stuff, but uh, yeah, with some of the players, I was just scratching my head. Get some of these guys. It's you know, fresh out of college and no pro experience, and you know if they even played college ball. Or it just it became very hectic very quickly, and with a lot of roster turnover, just trying to find the right formula. It just it, <laughs> there were a lot of players that came through. You just try to keep track of. Right as you kind of look look uh, look along to. The first, the first, hopefully the first season in the Frontier League. I know I'm, I'm pretty confident that uh, 2021 will definitely uh, have a, have 
a good portion of a baseball season, the first year in the Frontier League. Obviously, listen, a, a lot has changed uh, since since the Sussex County Miners took the field back in, as, as a member of the Can-Am League in, in 2019. And now you have the MLB partnership, of course. So from your perspective, do you think that the what what role do you think the do you think the Frontier League has a much bigger role than it ever has because of this MLB partnership and you are and you are such a a lot more based on development and uh, trying to develop players to potentially make the jump to the MLB affiliates do you think that the Frontier League kind of plays a much bigger role in that than it ever has now with the with the partnership uh, I, in some ways, yes. I think, I mean, the Frontier League has always been more about the development, and you look at their roster rules, and it shows that. Um, they're doing something a little bit different with the veterans rule this year. That's a Can-Am thing. But before that, you know, there was no such thing as veterans in the Frontier League. So it's been strictly, it's been a developmental type of league. I don't think the mission of the Frontier League has changed that much. I just think the way that these major league teams or affiliated teams, you should say, uh, get their information about the ballplayers, that's going to change. And I think that's the big thing about this affiliation is that uh, the way they get their information and the way they give the information to these uh, leagues, that's what's going to change. And it's going to take a little time for all of us to get used to. Um, but in terms of the positive side, I think that's what we're really looking at here. Um the Frontier League mission won't change much. They're still going to try to develop a bunch of guys and still get them onto affiliated ball clubs, and hopefully they make the jump to the major leagues one day. Uh, the Frontier League does have a good track record of that, uh, of getting guys to affiliated ball areas. So um, that mission I don't think is going to change. Uh, hopefully the, the affiliation with Major League Baseball makes it easier for everyone to get the information that they need so that these guys have the best chance of getting to club. Yeah, and I guess, I guess with that, uh, to, to continue on, I will I will throw it back to Nick Firestone. Yeah, so I'm going to just backtrack really quickly to talking about one fan in particular, because I know I've had very long conversations about this one guy here, because no one really believes that this guy really has a normal life outside of, you know, being minor man. So I got to ask a little bit about minor man and, and really what his deal is, because I... I he's really into Sussex County minor baseball uh, and anyone that uh, has been to Skyland Stadium to see the minors play knows uh, exactly what I'm talking about here. He is a passionate diehard minors fan um and, and you know I call Myers real name, but I'm just going to say minor man because that's when he's at Skyland Stadium that's who he is and he he just really he engages with the other fans. He, he just loves coming to the ballpark, uh, and being out there every night. Uh, I'll say his real name is Sean, uh, but um, he is just such a wonderful uh, part of, of the fabric of Miners baseball. Um, just with his enthusiasm and, and with his passion for for the game and for the Miners' success and. and um, I love seeing him at the ballpark every night, whether it be with the, now he, he doesn't do the face paint anymore. He's not uh, with the luchador mask. Um, he's got a custom made miners luchador mask, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, and I'm a wrestling fan. So yeah. that, that, that 
bonus points right there. It's just you almost wish everything could be like that, but nobody could be like Sean. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's a he's a great fan. He's a great guy too. You know, yeah. take the mask off. He's still an absolutely wonderful guy. Love seeing him at the ballpark. It's just like all right, minor man's here. It's a, it's a minor's ball game. Let's go. Yeah. So you know, he's fun to be around. He's a lot of fun to be around. I know. There's only a handful of fans that have their own mythology about them. And I mean, he's certainly one of them. And I know I've seen him on, uh, like, I followed the social media accounts that he has. And he definitely does seem like a really nice guy. And I know whenever I'm at the ballpark and I see him going about, I'm just, I'm in, I'm a little bit in awe that someone could be that that into uh into baseball but at the same time it certainly does add to the to the experience of being at the ballpark and i mean it's no different than the jackals having their uh their guy with the horn so i mean uh, yeah, Trump guy, yeah yeah, yeah. First, i bust because of the rivalry i bust chops a little bit and i say yeah. bugle boy but i i totally don't mean anything by that he, yeah. he's been he's been part of the jackals from their inception too which is a great uh, thing yeah, and I guess with that, no, I was going to talk a little bit about the the rivalries between all these other teams and the minors, and just obviously there's there's a limitation on what they could be with, but we did see a little bit of a in-state rivalry grow in that last season of the Can-Am when you had both New Jersey teams playing for the championship, and uh, it certainly was a good championship match. It went on back and forth just about every game. I know I watched every single one, and uh, you had some really close contests in there, and obviously there's, there's some rivalry with Rockland as well, and or I guess New York now, technically, but I was just wondering if we could talk a little bit about the rivalry that exists between uh, the boulders, or not the boulders, the miners and the other teams, and I suppose that there's a rivalry forming now with the other miners in the Frontier League. Yeah, there was a little bit of a social media type of thing when, when the two leagues merged. Um, we'll see what the Southern Illinois rivalry uh, develops into. But um, as for the, the three teams around here, a little uh, triangle, if you will, yeah. um, it wasn't a rivalry at first. Uh, 2015, 2016, 2017, there wasn't much to it. Uh, because Rockland and Jersey kept on beating up on the miners. Uh, but in the last couple of years, business has picked up. Um, the Boulders rivalry will always be there because Bobby Jones, he was the pitching coach with the Boulders before he took the managerial job with the miners. Uh, and Jersey, um, it wasn't a rivalry until the miners started winning. And it was almost like the Jackals, like, right, we're having a down year. That was 2018. And then 2019 came around, and uh, it was a mid, there was um, there was one game in particular um, where Trey Hare was getting the ire of uh, I can't remember which Jackals pitcher, but he kept like after a home run in the previous game, he just kept on trying to throw it trying to hit Trey and then yeah. striking Trey out and then talking junk about it and emptying the benches. It's like, we're one, we're one batter away from this one yeah. going to the next level. And, and sure enough, you know, it's, it's, there is a lot of competitive disdain between the two teams. Uh, a lot of guys are like each other off the field, but once that ball's, once that ball's put towards the plate, it, it's all bets are off and, it is intense between two Jersey teams. Yeah, I mean, having a healthy rivalry is always a good thing, though. It definitely adds to the excitement. 
Oh yeah. No, no. It's, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, there was a little bit of a thing with Juan Vier when, um, uh, trying to think who slid in hard to second base and that set off a brawl. Um, I was uh, Jay Bomb. Okay. Uh, slid in a little bit hard to second base and that, you know, that triggered off some, some animosity. And I remember a couple of weeks later, we were supposed to go up there to play Nezag uh, in a three game series. Mm. And Bobby, we get to the stadium. Bobby wouldn't tip his hand about what was going to be worn that day. We all get off the bus, walk into the clubhouse, and Bobby's just like, we're going all black today, boys. And that's when I knew, I'm like, oh, okay, shit. <laughs> it's going to get interesting. Uh, it did. Nothing ever came of it. And, yeah. you know, and we had a good crowd that night, and nothing ever happened. And, uh, you know, that was a little bit of a rivalry there. And I think it's going to, now that, um, uh, now that, uh, uh, Stanton has gone to uh, New York. Yeah, that's gonna you know. There's always been a, a, a matching of wits between him and Bobby, and, and uh, uh, it's gonna intensify that side of the rivalry with Rockland uh, just after. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially over the last few years, what you saw with Three Rivers there, they were certainly a good team. And I mean, uh, like you just said, there there was always a little bit of forming there. And it's, it's just good to see that we're going to have competitive baseball really close by and have it every pitch mean a little bit more. And uh, I guess with that, I do want to just kind of at least touch on the Frontier League stuff. And you've been very generous with your time so far. So I'll try not to uh, keep you all too much longer. The kids are behaving, and I know some fans also had questions. So yeah, yeah. So I, I want to get on the Frontier League uh, stuff a bit because I know that was one of the questions I saw, which was, "What are some of the changes that you think uh, the Myers are going to need to make to adapt to the Frontier League?" But I just want to kind of get your general thoughts on the the merger with the Frontier League in general, and just kind of going forward, what the Frontier League at least could look like in your mind because i know we've talked about expanding the can-am when that existed and then kind of where the frontier league could go and obviously with all the developments over the last week uh, a lot more doors have been open as to where the frontier league can go yeah it's um i mean listen one of the things i'm really looking forward to is seeing all these new teams and different teams and i think the fans here in sussex county and you know jersey rock and the other teams in can-am it's really going to freshen up the baseball experience for them to see all these new teams. That's that's the one thing on, on that end. You know, in, in terms of uh, you know, how everything's going to go, I don't, I don't think in terms of what Myers approaches, you know, they're not going to change that much. Bobby's still going to try to put the best team on the field. Um, it, it's just uh, with the Frontier League, with all these teams, and then, you know, maybe we'll see Lexington, you know, maybe we'll see West Virginia. Um, I know Mark Riquez, um, who, by the way, I used to work with on an old roller hockey team called the New Jersey Bullets. Oh, yeah. Him and I were on the same staff yeah, way back in like 2000 or something like that. So, um, hmm. but he put an interesting piece together in um, uh, Stadium Journey. Yeah. Um, which, you know, he gave his predictions on, and I think some of them were pretty good there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, would, I think Lexington, I think West Virginia uh, will be coming into the fold. Maybe we'll see, I would like to see Vermont pop in and give the Canadian teams a, a, 
a closer rival, if you will. Yeah. Because they're going to have a lot of travel going on. And that's going to be the big thing is the travel on these teams and how it all breaks down. Because last year, we were going to be spending a lot of time in the Midwest at the start of the season. There were going to be some tired legs and weary eyes coming off that bus and something. So uh, it'll be interesting. To, that's, I think, going to be the biggest thing is how the schedule plays out for 2021. Yeah, I mean, especially because I know when we had Bill Lee on, he was saying, optimistically, we'd like to get it out in February, the schedule that is. And obviously, when you have such a wide-ranging league, it makes scheduling a lot harder when you're still in some form or another in a pandemic. And I do agree heavily with, after a while, just speaking as a fan, seeing the same five or so teams come through the ballpark, no matter how intense a rivalry is or how much you know everyone there, it started to get a little, I don't want to say boring, but it got rather plain very quickly once you just play 100 games versus the same five or so teams. And so now to have double that amount, it certainly will uh, spice things up a bit. And I personally, I really am hoping for Vermont too. I think Lexington, like I said, is is as close to a lock as you can get. There's already some form of a relationship there. And I wouldn't even be opposed to adding a team, another team in uh, New England, maybe say Lowell, or I know Old Orchard Beach was discussed for a while. I know I've said on the show and I've said privately and everything, I'd love to see Atlantic City in some form or another get a team again, but who knows how feasible that is. I would absolutely love Atlantic City in this too. Um. I don't know if Old Orchard Beach is going to come through. I, I think they, they, when they were looking to expand the Can-Am League, I think they gave them a real long, hard look. I'm not so sure now that we might see Old Orchard Beach, but um, Lowell, who knows? Uh, Burlington, I'd love to see. There's some other old New York Penn cities that are right now don't have a, a tenant. You know, um, maybe, you know, there's also uh, maybe Connecticut. Uh, oh yeah, Dodd Stadium's open right now. They don't, I haven't seen anything about them, so who knows if they jump in on the circuit? Uh, there's a lot of possibilities, um, and the next couple of months are really going to sort of sift through how this is all going to play out. There's a couple teams. In, uh, uh, there's a team in Chicago land uh, that's uh, now all of a sudden on the outside looking in in terms of affiliation. Oh yeah, King uh, City. Yeah, so uh, you know King County. Oh, yeah, King uh, County. I'm sick. Yep. King County. So you know, hey, you know, there's plenty of possibilities uh, to get teams into the Frontier League, and it's just a matter of uh, you know Bill and and Steve and the rest of them there to you know make the best push and and see what they can get. Yep, absolutely. There. So uh, uh, unless Will, you have any more uh, questions to add, I think I could kind of just jump right into the uh, few fan questions we have, and then we could uh, kind of go from there. Uh, yeah, I, I think just and and, and there's something I definitely wanted to know. And actually, a, a fan did ask in the Can-Am League. Obviously, the Can-Am League is no more, and and the league was obviously very small. But wh- what field, like what what ballpark was your favorite road ballpark? So, what was your favorite ballpark that was not that is not Skylands? Oh, that's tough because like each of them has has its own like quirks about it. Uh, sorry, Yogi Bear Steam, you don't make the cut. Um, <laughs> it never does. Uh, no, it never, never does. does. <laughs> never does. Um, you know, obviously, Palisades Credit Union Park is, is a newer ballpark, and uh, uh, 
they always treat us well up there. Jackals treat us well as well. I'm yeah. not going to say they don't, but um, you know, the Boulders always treated us well. Uh, you know, still I'm friends with the, some of the guys over there. Uh, nice press box that they got going on, so I like that. Um, Quebec and Tarvia separately, um, you know, with the old ballparks, they're, they're twin ballparks essentially. Um, mm-hmm. built very identically, uh, and both staff. I mean, I sit in the Tortilla press box with everybody else. There's no boots. It's just one big press box. And so we sit up there and everybody in Tortilla has always been nice to me. Too many people to name. Um, you know, but we always chat about, you know, we always chat up before and after the games, and, you know, but. I would have to say Ottawa just because of how big the stadium mm. is. The people who grew up in Ottawa uh, always have been to me. Um, just something about walking into that press box. It, it just, you know, you're, you're really way, you're up there and back. And it's, um, it's not a, as new as Rockland, but it's also not, in not one of the older parts, it's, it's great sightlines, uh, great acoustics in the booth, uh, great people. I love going to Canada. Uh, so I would say of the park, of the ballparks that I've been to in the KM League, Ottawa just edges Palisades uh, Green. Yeah, just edges them. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because I know I know Rockland is definitely like the, I guess you could say the easy answer, but that 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 was that was definitely an interesting answer as far as Ottawa. And I know, um, and, and I know we have a lot of listeners. Uh, of, like we have a, it, it was crazy to me once I found this out, but we have a ton of listeners in Canada, so I know they will definitely appreciate your your kind words uh, about Canada. But with that, I know there are probably a couple fan questions that Nick wanted to get to, so I'll let him get to that. Get to that. I, I will say this about Canada before Nick asks me a question. Yeah. I have never gone to Canada and not had a good experience. The the, the people up there are amazing. I, go, I love going to Quebec City. It is an absolutely beautiful city. The people there are wonderful. Uh, Tarvier, again, the people there are wonderful as well. Friendly, no, nothing. I can't say anything bad. Uh, Ottawa is the same thing. I'm still friends with a couple of their old broadcasters, Mike Nellis and Dante Vicaria. Um, you know, so, again, Ottawa, I've been there quite a few times even before baseball and, and all good stuff about Ottawa as well. So every time we go to Canada, I look forward to it because I know it's going to be a good experience. Yeah, everyone always says that about Canada. Whenever we talk uh, to players or coaches or anything like that, everyone always says Canada's always fun, but especially Quebec's really fun. Such a gorgeous city. I, I make it a point once a season to take a walk down to the old city and just take it in for the day and walk around. It's a, it's a really, really good exercise there, too, with all the hills and everything. But it is so beautiful to, to, to walk around the old city. And just, I mean, I, I go on these road trips and call baseball games. And I get to walk around you know, great cities like that. So like, it's a perk of the job. Yeah, I mean, you can't really – can you really even beat that? I mean no. – you get to spend the summer calling ball games, and then you get to see some of the oldest cities in North America, and some of the most beautiful ones at that too. Go to the old city, have breakfast in the morning at about ten a.m. Nice, uh, 
eggs, sausage, potatoes, everything. Uh, it's just, yeah. And, and then get to walking around. It's just, I, I can't beat it. Can't beat it. Yeah. All right. So I we already kind of covered uh, what's your favorite league to visit. And uh, the second part of that question that was submitted was, why is the answer boss field? But uh, <laughs> I think, well, yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, we all know the, the history of boss field. Yeah. Uh, and so that is, I'm looking forward to going to all the stadiums, but I'm going to be going on a picture taking tirade when I get to there because of, of all the stuff that's gone past. And I guarantee a lot of my friends are going to be like, oh my God, I'll leave it here. I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, it's, it's self-explanatory. Yeah. So uh, there was that one. Then we also talked a bit about the changes to Myers would need to be made. Uh, we've talked uh, a little bit about some of the other ones here, but there's two that stick out. One was uh, who is your personal favorite minor player of all time? But I feel like that's almost making you pick between which is your favorite kid. It's kind of a hard question to find an answer to because there's not really an answer to it. There is. There's my favorite minor of all time is about fifty of them. Yeah. And they're they're all just great. I can't pick. I couldn't pick one and not and do the other forty nine justice or the other sixty nine or eighty nine or hundred nine or hundred fifty nine or whatever. And there's just so many of them come through. So I'm not. I can't pick one. Yeah. And so then the uh, third question that was attached to that comment was. Uh, Will the games be streamed next season? Uh, referencing to video, I've gotten this question a lot for our Q&A episode that's up next week. Uh, so I know I've personally heard that there was some work on getting a new website built or something like that, but I'm not sure uh, how much you know about that. I haven't been told much on it as of yet. Yes, we are going to stream the games. Uh, there have been a lot of different ideas that have been thrown around back and forth. At the end of the day, and I pretty much have told, you know, uh, management this, I tell Justin, I tell them, so it's, it's like, whatever you guys decide at the end of the day, well, we're going to run with it. You know, it's, um, you know, whether it's Facebook Live, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitch, whether it's a, a completely separate platform like KMD TV was. At the end of the day, whatever's decided, if they come up with Frontier League TV, then, you know, hey, you know, Frontier League. It's, as long as the fans get to uh, experience that and, and experience the games, you know, if they can't be at the game, they get to experience it in, in both video and uh, the radio varieties. That, that's what we try to bring in. And, uh, you know, once we finalize that and set it down, and I'm sure we'll announce it to all the world. But, uh, yes, we're, we're I'm 99.9% sure. I'll never say 100. 99.9% yeah. sure we're going to be doing video broadcasts. Well, that, obviously, that's great to hear. And then uh, I will say, when I went to just check to see if there was any new additions, I did see that uh, the Miners just re-upped Adi Siriaco. So that's always great to see a fan favorite in Siriaco back, too. And add that to Cito Culver and it's Harriet. The list goes on and on, you know, the Bobby bringing in the, the fan favorites that are going to keep these fans coming back. We love the fans. Um, you know, Audi's, Audi's another guy. <laughs> I mean, you get a big old bear hug from him at the beginning of each season. You, you, you know baseball's right around the corner. Yep. And uh, like I said, we had a lot of guys excited uh, that we were going to have you on. One of them also was Mikey Reynolds. I saw he was uh, commenting to that. He was excited, too. Mikey, Mikey's a great guy. Um, he, he, 
always sat up and he was one row behind me on the bus every time we were traveling. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was great to spend some seasons with him. Uh, love how he plays the game. How he plays it hard all the way through. It's speed to burn, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike is a, he's another great guy. He's, There's just too many in the name. Yeah. Just keep on going on and on and on. It's like, you know, yeah. Very, very, there's not many people I have a bad thing to say. Yep. And, uh, I don't think any of them in mind as you. <laughs> uh, so I guess with that, we kind of uh, reached the end of the line. I see we've done nearly an hour here, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. And uh, as is customary around here, whenever we reach the end of the interview, I always like to give the guest uh, some time at the end to uh, promote anything they want to promote, say anything they want to say, clarify anything they may not have uh, clarified or, or touch on something we may not have gotten to. If you have anything like that, uh, now is the time to say it. The floor is yours. Uh, it, it, thank you very much, guys, for having me on. Uh, I'm absolutely honored to be on the show with you guys tonight. Um, you know, th- th- I'm looking forward to baseball as much as all the fans of the Frontier League and independent baseball are looking forward to. Um, you know, I, I'm just I'm lucky that I get to broadcast for an absolutely wonderful organization. Um, you know, they've had me on. I'm going to enter my sixth year with the team. And uh, it, it really it, it has always been and, and continues to be just an absolute family atmosphere, which uh, makes my job that much easier. And, uh, you know, from ownership to our front office with Justin at the helm to Bobby and Simon and Vlad to all the players, it, it, they, they make it enjoyable for me to do this as a summer job. So, you know, I love doing this. I love what you guys do, you know, on the indie scene. Uh, it, it's great. And keep up the good work you know, because indie baseball or partner baseball, partnership baseball now is, is going to continue to grow. And 2021, let's get 2020 in the rearview mirror and look forward to 2021 and, and hopefully lots of fun and exciting baseball all across the land. Absolutely, and we do appreciate the uh, the kind words. I know I've enjoyed doing this for nearly two years now. Wow, like a, a month and a week. It's going to be uh, two years on the dot. And I know, Will, you've, you've been joining me for a solid portion of that time as well. And uh, I... We definitely enjoy doing this, and uh, just as an aside before uh, I wrap it up and then uh, just kind of turn it over, I will say this much. I didn't realize this, but apparently I've done this entire interview with my miner's cap on. There you go. It's a, I didn't even realize it, but I fit the mood. I, I wish I could say I was in my mind. I got my championship ring on right uh. now, so that that's my minor stuff, but I'm still in... in uh, Jersey Hitman stuff and calling the, their game earlier today. So, uh, and I'm going to be back in more Hitman stuff tomorrow. Or, you know, so bundle up and get ready to go before this blizzard hits us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a championship ring uh, outdoes hat by uh, quite a bit of a margin. <laughs> well, it depends on who you ask. But yeah, it's uh, I, I, another thing that I'm just so fortunate that the, that the club was uh, willing to present me with. And it's just. One yeah. of my, as my wife says, if you lose it, we're done. <laughs> and so, uh, no, I'm not losing this. Don't worry about that. <laughs> All right, we are back. 
Uh, again, we thank Britt for taking the time. He took an awful lot of time with us, too. I mean, we spent about, what would you say, an hour, hour and a half talking to him between yeah. on and off air? I'd probably say, yeah, probably around an, probably around an hour. So he's, he's very generous with his time, and we here at the Indie Ball Report really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely there. And, I mean, the way he talks about the whole Miners front office, too, I kind of want to get some of those guys on and talk to them a bit, particularly Justin Fiorella, which – I think it's a fairly doable thing here. At this point, really, I'm not ruling any name out as undoable or not doable. Just because, I mean, we managed to get a COO and a team president on and several yeah. league commissioners. So, I mean, I feel like the sky's the limit. Or as Michael Jordan would say, the ceiling is the roof. The ceiling is the roof. <clears throat> and you, that's why you, 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 can't, you can't rule out anything because you never know what will happen. And I think that uh, that definitely, definitely is the case for um, a guest that may be coming on soon. Yep, hopefully, mm. hopefully in early 2021. That's the thing we were hyping up about a month ago. But uh, that's a whole another thing for another day. We should talk about the interview we did. Uh, well, technically not today. While we're recording this, is more like two or three days ago now. But. Our interview that we did with Brett Luthner, uh, I thought it was a very good interview in the sense of you really got a feel for what it's like being a play-by-play man, and you really got a sense of the kind of guy he is, a guy who just really enjoys his job, that it's just so thrilled to be able to go to the ballpark every day, and while, yeah, there's other things he has to do besides calling a game, you still get to spend the bulk of your day just calling a baseball game and going through everything and just really having a conversation with the audience, even if they're not responding back. And you get to see so many cool moments and meet so many great people. It's just such a great behind the scenes look. And I think we said this before we aired the interview. It really wasn't like a sit down, get answers type interview where it's like, okay, we're going in. We want these questions answered more like in the actor's studio than a 60 minutes. Yeah, I, I agree. It was real. It was really good uh, to get that behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to be uh, a broadcaster in in independent ball every day. I mean, he kind of pretty much took us through like a, a day in the life, essentially. So it, it, it was it was a really interesting look at it, and thought Brett really did a good job uh, explaining that. So at least us and the people at home could really get an idea of of how he does his job on on a daily basis, as well as some changes that are going to have to happen. Well, I guess that did happen during the All-American Baseball Challenge. And then uh, in the future with the Frontier League, obviously uh, a lot more teams that he's going to have to get to know. Uh, not going to be the normal uh, six-team Can-Am League. But I, I, think, I think we'd all agree that the fact that the Sussex County Miners and really all the teams in New Jersey are in the Frontier League. Maybe this is just a, a, a personal opinion of mine. But I find that to be a lot more exciting than the Can-Am League. That's, that's just me. Yeah, no, sure. no, I agree with you on that. I, I think the Can-Am League had a bit of a charm for a little bit from the outside looking at, at least. Uh, from the inside, it seemed like it really wasn't uh, being held together very well. It seemed right. like a little bit of a duct tape organization. I may be a bit off by that, but that's at least the sense I got from talking to some people that either played in the league or were involved in it. It wasn't exactly the the most well put together thing here. 
And so from a just pure baseball standpoint, it's a good thing. But also, it just doesn't have the same attraction as a Frontier League does. The Frontier mm-hmm. League, while it may not be, you know, this well-recognized brand, it has a lot more power than a Can-Am League does. I mean, hell, even if you just look up Can-Am League for a little bit, you did get, like, uh, ATV leagues and things like that, because, you know, Can-Am ATV, you'd have that pop up first, and I'm and I mean, that's just not good uh, for advertising the league. And there's nothing that inspired about it. I mean, if we're being honest here, for the vast majority of that league's existence, it was basically the New Jersey and Quebec League. And that's yeah. just, it, it lacked a little bit of shine to it. And I think with the Frontier League coming in now, it seems like more of a real league. If for nothing else, just because you have more teams coming in. I mean, there were seasons in the Can-Am where there was four teams. And that's just, you can't do that. You can't have a league of four teams. Because that's not really a league. That's more or less just a group of teams that agree to play each other a bunch. That seems like a 2020 series right there. Exactly. It's more of a, it's a prolonged series than a actual league. And so when you're now going to have what, five other teams coming through New Jersey and Sussex and Rockland every uh, every year, pl- guaranteed. And then Maybe you're more. also going to have, yeah, you're going to have some more teams coming from the other side. I think like half of them are coming through, so probably like four more of them are going to come through at various points. Just yeah. that bit of variety that you're going to see makes a world of difference, and I think that's going to be really, really enjoyable yeah. for, uh, for a lot of people. When you're looking at the entire... I guess, baseball landscape, and you're looking at, obviously, the Atlantic League and American Association are kind of your gold standards, but after that, I mean, you you could, as far as guys who've played in the Can-Am League and eventually get to the big leagues, I mean, you got you got a handful of guys. I mean, we saw one this year on my Boston Red Sox with Robert Stock, but the Frontier League, I mean, goodness, you look at guys who have played in the Frontier League and then have gotten to the big leagues. I mean, that is a really, really long list. And I think now that's only going to improve with the fact that obviously it sucks that less and less players are going to get drafted in a 20-round MLB draft. However, it makes the Frontier League, as we've talked about before, a really, really important part of baseball, and of like professional baseball. And you're going to see a lot more scouting into these games, uh, and the, and the data, the extra data is going to help. Uh, so I, I think the fact that the it's a great future for the Frontier League, but also I think it makes teams like the New Jersey Jackals, Sussex County Miners, uh, it, it makes them a lot more appealing, I think, to the fans than they than they than they have been in the past. Yeah, I think it makes them a lot more viable too, just because. Uh you now have that variety coming through there and you have a lot more to promote. Like you said, there's more guys that made the majors there. There are a handful of guys that came to my mind after you mentioned Robert Stock, uh, Brislow came to mind, Art Charles came to mind. Uh, There's one or two other guys that I'm thinking of, but I can't. That's Red Sox World Series champion, Craig Breslow. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a handful of other guys, and technically Matt Latos came through there, but I mean, not on the upswing, but on the downswing. So the whole Frontier League talk was uh, was very good. I do, or I have to hit on uh, a couple of things here. One, I'm glad to see everyone likes Minor Man, and that we all have the same opinion of this guy, 
where he's just kind of this weird anomaly that's really, really, really in to the Sussex County miners. Like, I get being into into any sort of baseball here, but I mean, the man runs around with a mask on, and I vaguely remember there being a cape. Like, that's really into, uh... Oh, yeah. That's really into it. Oh, yeah. And and it, it, it's great to see that the the miners have such a such a great fan base because if you kind of think back to the history of I, I guess I don't want to call it the history of the Sussex County Miners but history of baseball teams that have played in, in Skyland Stadium which I mean, we have a go- video on real quick I want to plug that by cutting <laughs> off there's a video on the YouTube channel called the history of baseball in Sussex County you may want to go to Indie Ball Report podcast on YouTube and watch that. That's right. Uh, and, and I mean, you, you think back to your affiliated days with the New Jersey Cardinals. And then, and then you also have had like different teams that have come in, but, but failed as part of, as part of other independent leagues. And it, it is kind of good, great to see that you, that they were finally, I guess, able to get it right. Uh, and really get something, uh, get a sustainable product in, into Sussex County. And I think that, that, that that's really cool to see from, my, from my perspective. Oh, yeah. They were finally able to make everything work. And there's clearly a fan base there that is extremely passionate, does come out here. And I do think a lot of times you see with the average attendance, it's a bit skewed. I mean, if you go to a game on those weekend nights, it's damn near sold out at times. And certainly during the week, while there is a lesser crowd, that's going to be the case across all of baseball when it's a work day and then afterwards. But a lot of times those numbers are just skewed because, well, if you go to a game during the middle of the day and it's not a camp day, you're going to have a poor showing. There's no way around that. Just you're not going to have that many people playing hooky to go to a baseball game in the middle of the day, in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the week. It's just not going to happen. So I think the attendance is a bit uh, a bit, I guess, misleading would be it. the numbers don't lie, but they certainly do uh, stretch the truth at times, and I think that is the case. But there is definitely a crowd there that exists and a fan base that acts more like a community than a fan base, I would say. And uh, I will say there is one thing that really drove that home and the importance of that team in the community, which is when uh, we asked about the, the Figueroa call, which, I mean, when I was asking about the what's your favorite call, I think uh, all the minor fans knew I certainly knew. I think you knew. I think we all knew that it was going to be the Figaro oh, yeah. call. And hearing the whole story behind that call was really, really just fantastic. How it meant so much to him and he had his family there and everything. And this is a really nice story. And, you know, it, it clearly meant a lot to him, that call. It was an awesome story just to show how how much the miners meant mean to his family, how much it meant to the community, and then obviously how much it means to him. So... Uh, it, it, it was great. Yeah, I just, I really like this interview as a whole. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention here was uh, how much work goes in before he starts broadcasting. I think he said he takes about five hours beforehand to just kind of meet with all the local media folk, make sure all the game notes are there, make sure everything's all straightened out. Uh, a lot of work goes in behind the scenes, so that way it's ready for first pitch. Uh, one thing I did also relate to that he was saying uh, is that... When he was a kid, he'd commentate the video games he was playing. And I was like, shit, I do that. Like, I could be playing NCAA or NHL. I'll start just, like, kind of low-key 
commentating whatever game it is I'm playing, be like, okay, sends up the boards, moves it over, back now, behind the net, whatever it may be. I I do that same thing. So I relate a lot to to that bit at least. And uh I also have to say I am interested to see if they can get on FM radio this year. It'd be nice to actually have a a physical radio station, not just be dependent on internet radio. Uh, it definitely makes it more accessible there. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think it's, that's a big market, especially on weeknights. Cause you mentioned again, like across baseball and it's not, it's not a surprise that there's going to be less people at the ballpark, but you're telling me that minors fans, uh, that if minor fans have the opportunity to listen to the game as they're driving driving home from work wherever wherever they work, I think they'll certainly take advantage of that. And I, I think it would be it'd be a great idea for I, I'm not totally familiar with the radio stations up near Sussex County, but I, I think that if they could get some sort of agreement and put them on on AMFM radio, I think that'd be a great idea. I really I really think it would I think it would be a great idea. Yeah, I think it would definitely help out. And I mean, if they get one. We'll cover it. That's our go-to bread and butter off-season topic is radio deals. Oh, yeah. Anyone that's been here since day one knows that. Wanted to point out two other things here. One, how everybody seems to love Canada, especially French Canada. And when we asked about, oh, what's your favorite ballpark to visit? I love how nobody ever says Yogi Berra Stadium. No one ever (laughs) says it. It's a, it, the, the baseball there is great, but I, you don't go there for the uh, for the stadium. I'll just put it like that. I'll take it a step further and go. The stadium needs major renovations in it. You need to, at the very least, you need to clean it up a bit. It just looks old and tired, like a fresh coat of paint and switching out some of your old, like, really faded, like, facade covers would really go a long way with it. Maybe redoing, like, any one area would do really well, too. Maybe redo the picnic area. Maybe redo the kind of little area where you have, like, the inflatable stuff. Maybe a gift shop. Anything, really, would really be a huge help. And like I said, there's land beyond that uh, outfield wall. Again, I don't expect it to be feasible. But if you could, do something with that land. Whether that be outdoor seating, whether that be maybe boxes of some sort, something like that would go a very, very, very long way. Now, again, that's going to be very expensive to do, so I don't expect it to be done. But even still, the thing needs a facelift, and I don't think anyone's going to really uh, disagree with that. We can dream, Nick. We can dream. I know. With that, I think we, uh, I think we could kind of wrap up interview talk. Uh, like I said, Brett's a really nice guy, and I would be very interested in having him back on again once the season gets going and we have a roster. I'd really be interested in talking to him about uh, who he expects to see on this roster, be a big producer, who he's interested to see uh, coming back, and you know, just kind of breaking down uh, the 2021 season with him. Uh, that's something I'd be definitely uh, interested in doing. Yep, it's 100%. All right, so with that, we'll kind of shift now to talking about, technically speaking, some Frontier League news. There really isn't much here, but uh, I figure at least tossing some news this week on top of the interview, uh, just to keep you up to date. Uh, first thing up is Connor Reed is now the pitching coach for Schaumburg. He replaces Tony Smith, who's now with the Tigers organization. 
Uh, Reed's 26. He played three seasons in the Frontier League. I guess this means he's retired and not a player coach, but I don't know for certain. I do know he does follow the podcast on Instagram, though. So uh, good on him for that. And yeah, uh, yeah a, I know he does some work with an outside training facility. I think it's AHQ is who he does work with. So I guess that would be kind of the experience they're going off of here. And uh, yeah, I mean, he seems like a good enough hire as anyone. Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely sounds like a good hire. Uh, Connor Reed definitely sounds like a good hire for Schaumburg. But man, a twenty-six-year-old t- pitching coach—that's that's pretty young. Yeah, uh, it's it's just weird that he wouldn't at least say, "Okay, well, let me take uh, a year or two longer to keep pitching exclusively," and then maybe I could see that. But yeah, twenty-six does seem. A bit young to be saying, ah, screw it, let me just go into coaching. Yeah, maybe he has injuries. I mean, I mean you never know. But I, I think that, I mean, listen, if you know baseball, you know baseball. Uh, trust me, uh, I'm not going to find me uh, saying anything different. But a 26-year-old pitching coach is pretty young. I mean, he's really young. He might be he's probably be coaching some guys that are older than him. Almost, yeah. I mean, even in the Frontier League, that's, you know, that 21 to 26 age group. Yeah, he's probably going to have a handful of them, which is a bit odd. Like, I always wondered that. Like, as a player, if you're older than, like, your coach or your GM, how does that make you feel? Well, because, I mean, the only person I can think of in, like, in, like, major sports, I mean, you could think of Sean McVay with the LA Rams, but Mm. who was, like, 33 when he took the job. Well, there's a couple in the NHL. There are, are there a couple really young guys? Oh, Sheldon Keefe's in his thirties, and I mean, he has Joe Thornton on his team now, and he had Patrick Marlowe for a little right. bit. Um, let's see. And the NHL got a lot of a uh, lot of more executive types that are yeah, really that young. I do know. Yeah, like Kyle Dubas, Chica for a little bit. Uh, technically, Steve Sullivan out in uh, out in Arizona. Uh, he's Ken- fairly young, although I think Bill Armstrong's technically running the show over there now. Uh, I, I, I can confirm that Lindy Ruff is not one of those guys that is a very young. Lindy Ruff has some miles on him, certainly. That, we'll, we'll just keep it at that because we're going to say some nice things about Lindy. Regardless, yeah. regardless, uh, we, we continue on with the baseball talk here before it goes off the rails. Ottawa added someone else to their ownership group, Jacques J.M. Shore. Has been added. Uh, he's a partner at a firm, a legal firm, and his specialty was kind of government relations. He seems to be a bit of a benefactor in the greater Ottawa community, from what I recall reading. And uh, yeah, he seems to be another another guy added to that group. I suppose that's good to diversify a bit, especially someone that deals with government relations when you play in a ballpark that's owned by local government and oh, yeah. uh, had a bit of a rocky history with them. So that's always a nice add and also diversifies the pool a bit. Has different money coming in there. Should probably help the team overall, I'd say. You hit on exactly what I was going to say. I think it's really important because Ottawa has definitely had, like you mentioned, quite a rocky relationship with, with their local government, specifically over the past year that all, that ultimately ultimately had them get left out of the original transition to the Frontier League pre-COVID. So it's definitely, you definitely need somebody who's able to connect with the local government. It's really important because you you said their stadium is owned by, by by the city? That's correct. Yeah, they lease it from the city. Okay. Well, then, yeah. So that, that that's a must then. So I, I think that's 
definitely definitely a good idea then. Exactly. Even if he doesn't have experience dealing with these people in particular, uh, to know how to deal with city officials is always a uh, positive thing. Even if you don't have a stadium that's owned by uh, local government or state government, or I guess in this case it would be provincial government, uh, it's still a good idea just because having a good working relationship with the city around you is always a, uh, a positive and makes business easier, makes future endeavors easier, and it just a good policy is to be friendly with your neighbors. It it tends to yeah. work out better in the long run. Um, and and the and the Bridgeport Bluefish learned that the hard way. I really do feel bad for Bridgeport too, because that was a really well ran organization. Yeah, man they they got they got a raw very deal. much screwed. We have a little bit other Frontier League talk, which is kind of Tri City and Clinton talk. Uh, supposedly, mm-hmm. the Frontier League is very interested in the Clinton Iowa team. And Tri-City has spoken with all three of the partner leagues. I'm not including uh, the Pioneer League in this. I'm just talking about the former independent leagues. They're partner leagues, but they're still independent. So they talked with the American Association, Atlantic League, and Frontier League. And they could have a decision as soon as early January if they want to play in 21. Or they could wait, take longer, and then take the field in 22. Uh, thoughts on Clinton and then Tri-City. So as far as Clinton, I guess I'll start there. I think it makes a lot of sense because if you're looking at the teams that the frontier, the rumored teams that the Frontier League is looking at, when Bill Lee was on, he was said he, an ideal league would also have a team that kind of serves as that middle ground between the Canadian teams and um, and the teams in New Jersey and New York. And I think that, and I guess Vermont was the one that I mean, you, we could kind of connect the dots there, but. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that if you're going to add a team like Vermont on one side, you're probably going to need to add a team on the other side. And I think a team like Clinton could definitely work. It's it's a team that that's had a solid fan base in the past. And I think I believe they have. Um, I believe Bill Lee has has some sort of relationship with one of their oh their general manager. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Tornow, I think it is. Yes, Ted Tornow. So they, they've they've uh, they've they have a good relationship. I tell you what, I, I think it, I think it could work on, on that side. And, and uh, as far as Tri City, I mean, it was it was interesting. Tri City was probably the only team I've seen, or at least that came out publicly and said, "Yeah, we we were not interested in the NFL Draft League whatsoever. Our fans deserve better. Our fans deserve professional baseball, and we were not going to accept anything less." And that, to me, is a really interesting statement because you see, you've seen a lot of teams with who, who have had a lot of success in the past. I mean, Trenton and Frederick, specifically, saying that it's better to go into a, a draft league where for your expenses are, are less. But I mean, but Tri City, uh, they they came out and said, no, we're not interested in in the in the draft league. We want professional baseball, and I think that draws you to a logical conclusion of I, I think it's I think it would be a really good spot for an Atlantic League team. But if the frontier, if that falls, uh, if that ends up not happening, I think it could work uh, on the frontier um, on the frontier league end of things as well. Yeah, I think it's just so weird that the American Association was talking to him. Like, it's just so far out of their footprint. Like, why would you go for that? Like, you just got rid of a long trip to Grand Prairie. So now you're going to have a possible road trip upstate New York from Albany all the way down to Cleburne, Texas. Yeah, or like Sioux Falls. Yeah, or even worse, to Winnipeg. 
Dude, that's like a that, that that's like more than a that, that's not possible. You you would you would have to fly. Even flying is not a short flight. It's still looking at four or five hours. Even though they were talking to him, I can't see it happening. Yeah, like the only way I see that happening is if there's some sort of grand plan to merge all the partner leagues into one partner league and then maybe keep like the Frontier League and Atlantic League names as like in name only type deals, kinda like how the National League and American League are technically separate leagues, even though they're not at all separate in any meaningful no, way. Not anymore. Yeah. So that kind of a thing where they just keep the name as like a look, it's tradition type thing, even though we know we're conferences. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that speaking of which, one big indie league, remember the episode back in the day before, back when I was just a listener to, oh. to the Indie Ball podcast. I, I do remember that episode. Yeah, uh, I had the, to go into the archives the, to find that. Oh, yeah, the the giant Indie League episode. Uh, but that, that, that'd be fun one day. But I think that, yeah, I just can't see it being, and I can't see Tri-City being um, it's just, yeah, a fit for the Americans. I can, listen, I see why it's an interesting market for any uh, independent league team. I mean, they have they have good attendance numbers. I mean, Albany is a pretty good location. I mean, you have a lot of, uh, you have a pretty good population base. It's not like, even though it's upstate New York, it's not like it's in the middle of nowhere upstate New York, which, um, which you do have, because you do have a, a good population center. I mean, it's not too far from the vacation spots of like, uh, like Lake George, uh, kind of near there. So I, I think that, uh, I think that putting a team, in Albany, either for the Frontier League or the Atlantic League, whichever way it goes, I think you're going to see them go to one of them. I, I, I'm almost certain of that. I think that that'd be a great idea for, for either league. Not, not so much the American Association. Though. Yeah, I think uh, Josh Shop was just doing his due diligence and making a phone call over and seeing uh, what the situation was like and and just that. But uh, logistically, I don't see how that works. Frontier League and Atlantic League got to be the two leaders, like you're saying. I think Atlantic League winds up winning out there. But, I agree. But I, the Frontier League, I think, has a better chance than others are really giving them here. There's enough other teams that are nearby in that general region where there is that as a selling point, certainly. And I'm going to be very interested to see how this winds up panning out. And I think you made a good point uh, just a bit ago when you said if you're going to add in Vermont, that means you have to add other teams to the other side. Because already, just with Ottawa, the Can-Am division, and apparently the other one's called the Midwest division, I always thought it was the Frontier division. I'm probably going to make that mistake more often than not, but it's technically called the Midwest division. If you're going to add teams to the uh, Can-Am division, you need to add teams to the Midwest division. So you need to add two there. If we're going to assume Lexington's kind of a slam dunk lock for that number 16 team spot, yes. then if you put Clinton in, it balances mm-hmm. out either Vermont or any other team you're going to put on the other side. And that certainly is an advantage. Agreed. I think if you're looking for teams like Vermont and Clinton, I think I, those two would definitely work, assuming you're, you're throwing in Lexington. Because I, I, I think it's pretty obvious. And, and I tell you what, Nick, I'm looking on social media and you look at a lot of fans, I'm sure, when they go from affiliated to uh, affiliated to independent ball aren't thrilled. I will say there seems to be a lot of excitement from Lexington fans about potentially joining the Frontier League. Like they're actively pushing for them to join the Frontier League. I thought that I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. 
That's, yeah, that is that is interesting that they're that excited about it. Like honestly, no. that's that's the sign of a good market there. Right? Yeah, they're like, they're like, no, please join the Frontier League because because I guess they had. Well, I mean, their fans were treated to some sort of a Frontier. I mean, they had a they had a fun time with Brandon Phillips uh, uh, this past summer. So I, I think that no, their fans are actively pushing for that, really? or at least the ones that I've seen. Ah, well, then they should definitely uh, take advantage of that. I guess the Bourbon Trail really worked out well for them. So I'm, yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like it was really a home run for them, to be honest. Yeah, nice pun too. Ah, I know, very nice. It's a baseball podcast. Yeah, Got to keep on point there. So, uh, with that discussion, I guess we could kind of move on to the last thing we got for the day here. Like I said, there's really not uh, too much news to discuss this week. Good thing we had a very good interview. So we got uh, Cleburne has a new manager. They they replaced Brett uh, Cleveland as their manager with uh, pitching coach Mike Jeffcoat. Uh, Jeffcoat did spend a good amount of time in the majors, too, from what I saw. And he played pro ball for 15 seasons. So good hire, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, he's definitely Mike Jeffcoat definitely has. 500 innings in his MLB career, exactly 500 innings. So listen, he has lots of um, lots of MLB experience. I mean, not sure. I mean, he was the pitching coach. Not sure. If, I don't think he. Uh, or no, he did coach at the college level. Okay, yeah. so uh, so I guess he does. He, he does have an idea of how to um, uh, of how, of how to manage. So you know, it, it sounds like it sounds like a pretty good hire, and I think you're able to draw some fans to the ballpark because he wasn't his best years were with the Texas Rangers. So I, I think that. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a solid hire. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's one that's going to work out pretty well for them. The pitching staff seem to perform really well under him, so maybe the yep. whole team can expand to that. And at the very least, uh, it does continue a lot of transactional moves that we're seeing this off season. This is like the second or third new manager that's been hired or replacing somebody else. So it's interesting to see that trend. Yeah, especially when uh when when their their last manager in 2019, I mean, they went 57 and 43. It's not like they were bad. Exactly. And I mean, a manager in indie ball is really like you can't even so much judge them off of performance on the field. It's more like who can you get to bring players in? I mean, if you're going off of performance on the field, then you have to start to question Stan Clyburn, but obviously Stan Clyburn's a good manager. It's just uh, it's hard to recruit players to Southern Maryland. It's, Agreed. You know, yeah. it's not easy, especially when you had like two teams in the New York market right there. And I do think they would have been better this year if if, if uh, the pandemic hadn't screwed things over. I think that I, I do think the Blue Crabs and Blue Crab stands would have had a better team this year. I really I really believe that. I guess with that said, there really is nothing else left for us to talk about this week. So we could probably wrap it up here. Um, not quite a two hour show this week, but you know, like 90 minutes, certainly probably over that. So that's pretty cool. Plug wise, uh, check out the Twitter, Indie Ball Pod on Twitter. We post a lot of stuff there. Probably going to do one last push for the Q and A episode that's next week. Uh, definitely get your questions in, submit them on Twitter. You can submit them on Instagram at ALPB underscore news, or you could uh, submit them at uh, Indie Ball Report. Both of those work, certainly. Go to the website for other contact information, IndieBallReport.com. There's also articles and that Skylands or Sussex video that I talked about a little earlier. That's on the website, too, so be sure to hit that up. I'll probably do something 
that will promote some more questions here. We're at about 25 or so right now. So I'd like to get the 30 and cap her off there. I think that'd be a pretty solid in length show for you guys next week. So be sure to do that. Uh, like, follow, review the podcast wherever you get them. That's available wherever you really find podcasts. Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, uh, Google Podcast. Apparently we're on this thing called Deezer too. So we're on Deezer. That's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about all I got plug-wise. Uh, you got anything else left to add? So my, my thing to add this week. So... We're, we're recording this on, on Friday afternoon. So tonight, from my perspective, and uh, pe- the people listening to the show on, on Saturday will have already know, know what happened. But to me, it doesn't really matter. I'm assuming that Rutgers football is playing their last game tonight. I think they'll get invited to a bowl game. However, I, I, I can't see them accepting it. I think everybody's tired. They've played nine games in nine weeks. I would just like to say how proud and excited i am to be a Rutgers football fan at this point even though they're three and five they came a long way this year we were competitive in the big 10 then uh greg shiano did things that were that were never thought possible for for the Rucker, for the Rutgers scarlet knights and pulling off some big wins this year and maybe we can get to four and five and get a really good start into next year when we bring the fans back and and uh and get that crowd rocking i would just like to point out that nick that one nick firestone did not like the greg shiano hire i still believe it's not going to do any bit of good i think that just playing inside the big 10 this year doesn't really show me much i think when you have not show you much that that makes that makes the schedule harder played a handful of teams and your conference, and that's it. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we got wins against three road wins against Michigan State, Maryland, yeah. and, and Purdue. So I'm. Those I, are three teams really, that should fold their programs. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, Rutgers pulled, lost, like, ah, what was it, like 22, 23 straight Big Ten games, and we were potentially able to win four. This year, I mean, I, I couldn't even dream of it. And and just just to see that, I'm very excited for the future to come. And that is my thing to add. And I hope Rutgers can pull out a final win tonight. I'm assuming they won't accept uh, just because they seem tired, but seem like gassed that, that play, after playing nine games in nine weeks with COVID protocols, stuff like that. So I'm very, very happy with the season, regardless of what happens in the Nebraska game later on Friday night. I'm just vehemently anti-Rucker, so I will root against them no matter what. So I had a thing, but I think we're pretty good. I think we said everything that needed to be said. I'll save my uh, comments about dog breeds uh, for next week, and uh, it'll go right back onto the pile there. So uh, with that said, nothing else left to add. Uh, Don't forget to play ball.